This episode of The Huddle is brought to you by the Athletic Club Oakland, my go-to sports bar in the East Bay. This will be a shock to no one. I love watching sports, and I love it even more while at a sports bar. But to be honest, there was a long period of time where I just couldn't find one I really liked. I'd hit a spot that had TVs, but the food sucked ass, or a place that had good food, but they wouldn't show the game I wanted, and the inside felt dark and depressing. It was always some trade-off or sacrifice, and that's done now. The ACO is exactly what I'm looking for. They have a huge space, including an outdoor spot where they shut down an entire street and called it the town gardens. They have more than 100 televisions, which can and will show every game you ask for, and they have great food. The ACO has everything. You need to comfortably watch your favorite team in any sport at any time with passionate fans. I love it, and I'm pretty damn sure you will too. The Athletic Club Oakland, where sports fans get everything they want every day they want it. We're going to bring you on to our huddle. You are in. With me, Bram, with your usual, my boy, producer Marcus. What's up, Dad Nation? And our master of all things sound, Maxine. How's it going? Gentlemen, my mic echoed a little bit to start there, and it threw me right the fuck off. Hopefully, we can hit the ground running a little bit faster. MT, we haven't heard from you for a minute, man. It's been a couple of weeks at least. What's up with you, dude? Give us an update. Uh, doing all right. Uh, had a good holidays. Unfortunately, my um, brother and his family got COVID, and they were visiting, so we were all down for the count for a little while. Um, we ended up getting a medley of, of different illnesses between COVID. We have babies. Some of them had hand, foot, mouth, uh, strep throat going around. Laryngitis was positively identified. So it was just, um, I think your text sent, summed it up well. Biological warfare is what we were <laughs> dealing with over on our side. <laughs> Holy shit, dude. I feel like I should be wearing a hazmat suit before we have any conversation, even digitally. What was worse, Sadiq Bey's fucking three-pointer last night or living through the pandemic that was your household? Oh, not even close. Sadiq Bey. I hate that. <laughs> what a terrible, <laughs> terrible way to end the game. <laughs> Dude, and him screaming at the side, the the sidelines just drove me crazy. We'll cover that in a second. I don't want to get distracted. And Maxine, you and I have spoken. I saw you just last week, but this one finds you on the other side of the world, man. You're currently in Australia. How are things down under? I tell you what, like way nicer than being in the Bay right now. It's uh, it's sunny. It's warm. I don't want to rub it in too much, but I definitely uh, escaped without knowing. The The only thing that's actually causing problems here is from afar now, I'm worried about my place because, you know, it's just like all shuttered up. And, uh, um, you know, thinking about you guys out in the Bay while I'm basking in days that last more than 12 hours. Yeah, we've been lucky, at least on my side of Oakland, to avoid most of the nasty major stuff out there. And you turn on the news and it's at least two people screaming that this is a level five out of five storm and that you know all of our homes are going to be blown away. Uh, with that in mind, actually, let me say props to everybody who showed up at the Warriors game last night. Uh, you are equal points, crazy and savage. We appreciate the hell out of you. Nicely played. I don't know. I mean... I used to drive 90 minutes from Santa Cruz to watch him get the shit kicked out of him by like 60 points in college. So I have a little experience of unnecessary travel for Warrior games. Even I wouldn't have, I don't know, gone through Hurricane Bay Area, whatever the hell that was last night. So nicely played. Um, gentlemen, CJ is joining us today. But before he does, 
I thought maybe we'd jump in with a little glass half full. So you guys know how this segment looks. We go back into uh, recent Warriors history. We give something we like and we don't like. And to give you a little time to think, I'll fire off a couple of rapid ones here. Like, I like when opposing teams don't foul when we're down three. I don't know how I can send, like, thank you cards to Atlanta and to Detroit, even though it ended the way we did. But however many times they need to learn that lesson, I'm on board for it. I like everything about that Atlanta win. We're a little bit too far removed now to, like, really jump in and, and you know, bask in its greatness. But I will say that Kevon Looney's ongoing quiet dominance of the board is like one of my favorite fucking things to watch. I like PBJ's future, his size, everything that uh, he has been doing suggests his future is bright as hell. But here's the biggest thing I like, boys. I like the experience this roster is getting. So I've used this line too many times, so I'm going to shift it a little bit. I used to say that under Lacob, bad things happen for good reasons. I'm going to shift that this time. This time I'm going to say that under Lacob, bad things have good results. So first example I always used to talk about was Steph's initial ankle injury, way the hell back when. And that allowed us to sign him to a lower contract, which leads to things like Andre's contract, and off we go with the dynasty. This time, I think there's some fucking upside too. So Steph goes down with a shoulder subluxation been 10 games, they're six and four, and through that 10 game stretch, they've been delivering the exact kind of experience we want to the younger guys, right? Dante looks more comfortable. JK got real minutes before he got hurt. We got to see Ty Jerome and Lamb a little bit more. Put differently, before Steph went down, the biggest thing we've been worried about, that we keep talking about, hasn't been the starting five, hasn't even been the top six. It's everyone else on the roster we didn't know what to expect from. Well, during these 10 games, is the exact experience the rest of that roster needed to try to get up to speed. You know, are, are we there? Are we guaranteed to win a title? No, fuck no. There's still a lot of work to be done. But what we are seeing is exactly what you would like to see to develop the rest of that roster and get them closer. So that's what I like, and it's a mouthful. Boys, what do you got? Um, I'm going to go – one thing I don't like and do like, I'll do do because don't is probably a little obvious in what we're all talking about. Um, but I do like that that Loon is getting that recognition. Um, I see it going on in the chat here um, with Joe and Michelle. I'm listening. Um, um, I'm you know, sorry. He, I'm afraid I can't do that. <laughs> Siri wanted to participate in the podcast. Yeah, Siri. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> We, we asked we asked Siri if if Loon could start the All Star game. Um, uh, yeah, but he's he's getting you know he's getting the recognition of it. You know, is he getting some votes? Yes, it's it's the first returns, and you know it's it's just the first returns. But he's tenth. You know, he's there in the front court, so it's great to see that. You know, he's getting that recognition, and um, you know, is he, he's he's living up to Luajo on the name. Um, what I don't like is is just the refereeing. Um, you know, we we try to be measured and and not blame everything on the referee and, and you know try to not have too many homer takes. But this seems like this season it's it's extra bad and not just towards us. The Kings have been, you know, gotten some pretty pretty raw deals. The Bulls have some legitimate gripes, um, and you know, and ourselves. I mean, just Draymond getting ejected last night um, for that. You just don't, you know, he's sitting on a technical, um, there wasn't any, you know, 
altercation that was worthy of, to me, a double tech in that situation. I think Ed Malloy has to be better than that and, and let Draymond stay in the game. So um, it just highlights to me that the referees are a little out of control. The, the fact that we know the NBA refs so well is not a good thing. They're supposed to be anonymous. I was trying to think, like, how many of the NFL referees do we know? NHL is a little tougher because it's a smaller audience and, you know, they they don't have, you know, they wear the the helmets, obviously. But, you know, and you think you go to Major League Baseball, you have Joe West and Angel Hernandez. But there's the NBA kind of has a monopoly on the referees have their own personalities and their own, you know, like recognition um, as well. And that's not a good thing. So I just I hate to see it. And I'm I'm hoping it's a trend that you know, goes back towards the average and below in terms of letting the players decide on the court. But right now it's it's starting to get a little frustrating. It's a ridiculous thing. It's a terrible thing. Nobody goes to the fucking games to watch the refs. And here, when when you said NFL refs, you know who stuck out of my mind? Ed Hockey League. But you know why he stuck out of my mind? Because his physique. It's not a call. It's nothing he's done. In other sports, when we think of, of referees, generally speaking, it's not what they're doing on the actual court or during the sport or how they're calling it. It's something else, some random thing that draws our attention. With NBA guys, it's how they call the game. It's the Tim Donahue's of the world, you know, and that's an unacceptable thing. And last night, it'd be one thing. Well, one, I hate double technicals as they stand. Two, double technicals when someone's going to get thrown out is complete bullshit. But three, that they went to that replay. And that we watch in slow motion that it was, you know, Beef Stew, a nickname I hate, by the way, who very clearly started it. And you watch Draymond, who's known for escalating, very clearly try to back things off, that you could watch that and throw Draymond out of the game. I mean, I've already blown this whistle a thousand times, but no, the officiating is dog shit for the Warriors this year. I don't care about Sacramento or anybody else. The way that the games for Golden State have been officiating is objectively wrong. I have no problem saying that. Maxine, what do you got? So, I mean, we don't need to dwell on the issue other than to say it, it is very frustrating the the degree to which uh, Draymond has become sort of the 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 face of anticipation for things being um, out of control for refs, right? You can tell that every ref officiates him in a way that that feels somewhat unique to Draymond, and it's and it's a little bit frustrating. But we'll leave that aside because I actually kind of do want to celebrate um, what you were saying about the upside of Steph being out for these past few games um, and getting to see people all over the roster get their shine a little bit. Um, I thought Moody has been looking fantastic, seeming to be in the right place at the right time. You know, we knew when we drafted him at 14 that he was the type of dude that would be more plug and play um, and was just sort of like, you know, not necessarily the highest ceiling guy, but definitely um, pr a pretty high floor. And we're seeing that come into fruition now. He's starting to get a little bit more of a reason to be in the rotation. And every time he's in, he just like shows up when he needs to be there. He's like getting a put back dunk or just, you know, he's, Really smart on both ends of the floor. Um, on the other end of the spectrum, Patrick Baldwin Jr., I would not say, is looking really smart on either end of the floor, but it's really continued to be fun to watch him shoot. Um, I love that one play in the in the Hawks game, you know, when um, when Jordan drove in and then had the kick out um, to PBJ for a nice three. Um, it just it felt like a, you're seeing a lot of these pieces of um, the next group of, of players for the Warriors coming to their own. And that just is really, really fun for me. PBJ reminds me of like a 15-year-old driving a Maserati. 
you know, he, he has no idea what to do with the skill set he currently has. But if he grows into it and learns how to drive that car, it's going to be remarkably successful for the Golden State Warriors. And I, I want to underline something I said a little bit earlier. Dante DiVincenzo's, or DiVincenzo's emergence. So we aren't initial on this take. We certainly aren't original. Um, but we have questioned a little bit the front office's lack of veterans during the offseason. You know, we've been laying so much on people like J.K. and Wiseman, all these other guys. And what DiVincenzo has shown is that he's stepping into those roles that we enjoyed with OPJ and, and GP2 last year. He is a veteran whose skill set is immediately valuable to the Warriors. Took him a little while to figure out how to use him and how to fit in, but we're seeing that now. He was a hero in two straight games, and Kerr specifically has credited him for making winning basketball plays. So if this Steph absence has done nothing else than introduce DiVincenzo into how he can help us, Phenomenal. I mean, that probably has more to do with Wiggins' absence than Steph, but it is something that's gone down over these last few weeks, and I'm fired up for it, man. It's, uh, it's a development and a positive one. Let's go to our golden questions. Uh, so this is our mailbag. Always deals with the lawyers. Occasionally gets personal. And here's our first quote. Dear Huddle, H-U-T-T-L-E. Dear Huddle, I love the show and listen every week. Let's pause for a second. I feel like if this person loved the show and listened every week, they would know it's the huddle. I feel like they'd see that on their phone. I think they would know that huddle is not a real word, but it is what it is. You know, dude, I'll take the compliment. It continues, quote, the Warriors got donkey officiating every game, and last night was no exception. We all agree the final Sadiq base shot should never have happened since it took longer than five seconds to inball the ball, right? So a couple of typos in there, but it makes sense to me. This person is asking do we think a five-second call should have been made uh, for the final play that went to Sadiq Bay? And we have video that's going to conclusively answer that. But, Maxime, don't play it yet. Instead, boys, I want to hear your initial reaction. All right, so that play happens. You know, Sadiq Bay buries us. Before it came in, did you guys think it was a five-second call? I did, but they're not. you're not going to call that there unless it's – you know, like six seconds uh, at that point. Um, I remember watching the replay and looking at Malloy's hand and it felt like he, he needed his hand to finish that last five second count for it to be a full five and the ball had just left the hand. So um, it, to me, out of all the things to be upset with at that game, that the five second call is, is low on my list. So it felt like he waited 30 seconds before he started counting to five. I mean, I'm not sure if they got that ball in within 90 seconds, but to be fair with that answer, last night was one of the most frustrating regular season games I can remember. Like we kept getting right to the portion where we'd be over the hump and then we couldn't get over it. And it left me in such an ugly place Dude, I got into a fight with Erica last night for no reason. We're in bed post game. You know, the game's over. I've, I've asked her, let's watch anything. Let's just get the taste out of my mouth. And she says, hey, would you, uh, you know, see what's on there? And I look over and instead of just grabbing the controller because it's my idea, I say, why are you asking me? The controller's touching your fucking arm. Just an immediate fight, dude. Completely unnecessary. So it did. It drove me completely crazy. Now, did I think it was over five seconds? Yes. Desperately, I did. And I would ask Maxime what his opinion was. But we just lost him entirely from the podcast. So I'm not sure that we're going to be able to get his opinion. In fact, we won't even be able to get the video 
that shows, um, unfortunately, it was 5.2 seconds. So somebody pulled that thing up, put a little clock next to it. We'd show it now if Maxime wasn't having internet problems. But it looks like it was a call that that Malloy was right in not making, which uh, which frustrates me, I guess I'll say, man. Like when, Let me ask it this way. When that game ends last night, what's your personality type, MT? Like, can you just turn it off? It's like any other, you know, frustrating game. It doesn't mean anything. Just move on. Or was there any pissiness in your life uh, after the ball, you know, after the, the clock's red zero? Um, normally I can move on. For some reason last night, the pissiness, stood, you know, like lingered a little bit. Um, usually when I'm watching the games, my, my wife isn't is as into them um, and she'll watch. And then, you know, she saw that we lost and she apologized. She was like, sorry, I know, you know, sorry, they lost. And I just took it hard. I was like, don't apologize. It's not, you know, like, why are you apologizing? And got upset. Um, you know, it's just wrong. She's just being considerate. But um, I, I think it was just because we're on a win streak. You know, the refereeing is bad and it's the Pistons, you know, and they're already down some of their better players. So, um, I just hated every Bogdanovich shot that went in. Jay Nivey's way too fast for his own good, and Killian Hayes making threes is just annoying. So, um, you know, it was just a lot to not like about that game. And to your point, we kept getting right there, and we we couldn't put them away. And every time we'd get close or take the lead, they would go on a little six seven point run and push it back up. And it was just one of those games that was frustrating to watch. It's made it even worse that we'd already lost one to Detroit. You know, I mean, losing to a team that is definitely draft lottery bound sucks. Losing to a team that is definitely draft lottery bound, who's missing its number one player sucks more. But losing to that fucking draft lottery bound team without its best player twice? No, dude, I couldn't stand it. And what's Bogdanovich even doing on that fucking team? It doesn't make any goddamn sense. Why would they need a veteran presence? They're trying to lose. It, uh, I don't, I'm starting to revisit the anger I had last night, and it's, it's not a, a positive place for me. So instead, I'll push us to our next question here. This one came from Patreon. No one is a good one. So I imagine this was uh, put together because Clay has come storming back out, and he's forcing a lot of people who wrote him off to, if not apologize, at least think twice. And as a random aside, I'll admit to you that every time Clay Thompson hits a three-pointer, I think to myself, fuck you, Charles Barkley, which is an inappropriate, unnecessary thing. And let's just say I thought that many times against Atlanta, but I digress. Here's the question from Noah. Quote, is there a player on a team you gave up on that you had to profusely apologize to because they proved you oh so wrong? What do you think, MT? Do you have anybody like that in your life? In my life or on a, on a team? Uh, well, either. I mean, I, has that happened during your life? I mean, if there's somebody you've like completely written off as like a friend or something and had to apologize to, I'd love to hear that too. But you know, if you don't want to get that personal, I'll take a basketball response. <laughs> yeah, let's keep it basketball. That's, uh, I have to think a little bit harder on that. I'd one. love that. Like, you know what? I've always hated my fucking brother, Matt, but whatever. I apologize for <laughs> that and we're all fine. There's this one friend I have named Bram. Um, you shut up. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I don't. It's a good question. I would have to think about it. I mean, I'm sure there's somebody on the Warriors that I kind of wrote off. Maybe Michael Mulder kind of comes to, to mind a little bit, but there's no no good answers to that yet. I, don't, I, I understand the writing off of Clay from 
new Warriors fans. I, I think if you're a true Warriors fan or you've been a fan for a while, you know, like you're you're in the group that hopes Steph Clay and Draymond all stay Warriors and retire Warriors. Um, but this doesn't answer your question, but it's just Clay still has probably five to six shots a game that are frustrating. And you're like, you're torn because it's Clay Thompson and, you know, sometimes he makes them, but they're just, they're not in the flow of the offense. They're forced, they're contested, you know, and they're, they're just not good shots. And he makes some of them sometimes, but I just, I wish he would eliminate those from his game. Cause I think we would be so much better as a team if, if he let the offense come to him more. Um, so are yeah. you turning a question that said all of us need to apologize to Clay Thompson into a, I'm still frustrated with Clay Thompson response. <laughs> anyway, Clay, that was like that? me like watching this. That's Marcus is an asshole. It's probably why he's fighting with his brother. We won't get any details <laughs> on that. Unfortunately enough. Uh, I'll actually answer the question, but I'm on the other side. So Maxine, what we're answering here was Patreon Noah's question. Have you ever given up on somebody and then realized you had to apologize to them? For me, it's the other side. So I'm just way too optimistic about people. I once uh, bet somebody at a funeral that Andres Bedrins would be a Hall of Fame player. Like skipped over All-Star, skipped over the 20 and 10. I was like Hall of Famer, 100%. I think I bet $100 on that. I did uh, something similar with Anthony Randolph. I think I called him All-World. So when it comes to the Warriors, generally speaking, like I'm on board. I remember like thinking that Pat or uh, – uh, Patrick O'Brien, P.O.B., would actually have like a solid fucking year. So if I owe an apology, it's to everybody whose ear I talked off like, oh, just you wait. This this Corey Maggetti signing is going to bring us right to the top of the heap. And then I ended up being exceptionally wrong. So those are the apologies I have to give. Maxime, do you have anybody who fits in this category? Are you not going to give an apology to the grandma whose funeral you were at for like trying to take sports bets in the middle of a funeral? We're just going to gloss over that. That is a key detail. It makes me a terrible fucking person. I mean, I mean, yes, I can offer that apology, but I don't even think that's something you can apologize for. I think once you are making aggressive sports bets during the funeral, you're just a bad person, regardless of what apologies. So yes, I apologize. It was a bad thing. It wasn't a grandmother's funeral, but it, you know, sure. I'll, I'll throw that out. (laughs) <laughs> nice yeah well I'm, I'm glad we took the opportunity to do that um sorry uh grandma macy or whatever um but i i know I, I, I think if there's anybody maybe it's like a half nod to steve kerr um because i have been a little bit uh earlier on in the season uh lambasting him for uh lamb and jerome uh being put into the lineup so frequently it felt like they were getting starting spots uh, over players that, you know, we drafted in the lottery that we wanted to see get more reps. Uh, And clearly that's been something that's been working out and there's a method to the madness. So maybe a little bit of apology to Steve Kerr. Um, And I guess by extension, Jerome and Lamb, uh, though still I'm a little bit confused as to what's happening because they can only play a third of their games uh, in the NBA level. So eventually we're going to have to deal with this. But um, for the time being, they're being really productive, especially Ty Jerome is an incredible um, asset to the team right now. So uh, a little bit of an apology to Steve Kerr there. I thought of a better answer too. You know what? Somebody I gave up on that, that I think fits this question is uh, Kavon Looney. Uh, you know, mm. when he first joined and then he had all the hip issues, um, I was definitely out on him. I was just like, why are we keeping this dude? He wasn't that good at UCLA. He's got all these issues. He's not healthy. He's unathletic. And, you know, and he can kind of rebound. And for him to be what he is now, 
you know, like grabbing 20 boards in a playoff game and, you know, more recently, a couple games ago, I think, you know, deserves an apology. <clears throat> you know what? I'll add to that and I'll, I'll hedge back on what I was just saying, because you saying that made me think of another player. I apologize to Jordan Poole before the bubble version of him, before he went through those playoffs and came back as a completely different guy. I not only gave up on him, I remember making uh, jokes about his hair. I was out like all over the board and I'm sure that's online somewhere. So before somebody looks at those takes and shoves them back up my ass, there you go. I immediately apologize to JP. And I got to ask this follow-up to you, Maxime. Did you purposely say lambasted because you knew you were going to say Jeremy Lamb? And if so, please never do that again. And I, it made me feel awkward. I didn't like the wordplay. I'm not a big wordplay guy. I, you know, it would be, I don't know if it's better or worse. I, I think it was subconscious because as soon as I said it, I was like, oh, it's because I'm thinking of lamb, but no, it was not intentional. It was, it was an unintentional pun. You said lambast and I thought to myself, that's impressive. And before I could finish it, you then said lamb and I thought I hate it. So I don't know. That's yeah, a little, I hated it too. I wish I could take it all back, but it's just, it's on the internet for posterity. Here's another thing that's on the internet for posterity. And it's our second question. Quote, Maxime recently said on Fox Sports 1 that the Warriors couldn't finish higher than fifth in the West this year. Do you agree with him? So we have that clip. Maxime, let's go ahead and see your appearance on Fox Sports. <laughs> oh, geez. Uh, I love this. I didn't I listen. I didn't. I, I really didn't know. I haven't seen the dude in a while. Nobody told me he grew out his hair. I was making a joke before about how I'm growing out my hair to look less like this guy. And then he fucking has long hair and. I see. I saw this clip. It was absolute. It's a nightmare. All right, here we go. I guess. Right now, they're 16th in offense. They're 16th in defense. They're an A plus team at home. They're an F minus team on the road. That to me says they're an average team. Do I think they could in the series beat Denver or Memphis or New Orleans or Dallas, which has the best player in the conference? No, I do not. I do. That's four teams. Thank you, Wild. You seem to steal one on the road. Win all your games at home. Okay. They're go watch them. From, from this right, point on. Right? So kind of a nasty hyperbolic take from uh, Nick Wright. And that's what he specializes in. All he's trying to do is get clicks, and he just got a click from us. But it still is worth the question. And MT, we haven't heard from you on this topic. All right? So before we even get to do you agree with anything that Nick Wright just said, let's start here. Do you think there's a remarkable physical resemblance between Maxine and Nick Wright? Because that really has been our go-to thing. And ignore that Maxine's changed his name to not Nick Wright in any way on the screen. Just give us that take. Can, can you see some similarities? <laughs> it's uncanny. And I, I feel like Maxime and Nick coordinated this long hair look. Because <laughs> the fact that he grew it out at the same time is just like, there's something going on there. It is so great. All right, take us to the meat of the question. So you heard him. Wright says a few things there, you know, but what I take away is, look, they are, they're a mediocre team. They've been playing mediocre. And because of that, they cannot be higher than fifth in the West at the end of the playoffs. He's not talking about seed. He said specifically he can name four teams we couldn't beat in the playoffs. So do you agree with that? I do not. And I don't think it's a big, it's a hot take to disagree with Nick Wright. He's, terrible um, at his predictions and what he thinks is going to happen. Um, he he yeah. is right. We're an A-plus team at home and an F-minus team on the on the road. You know, our numbers are numbers and facts are facts with that part. But I still think a healthy Warriors team in a seven-game playoff series beats all of those teams. 
in the West, at least. Right now, the team that scares me the most in a seven-game series, I'll put two up there, Denver and Memphis. Memphis because they still, for whatever reason, won't get it through their young, thick little heads that they're not that good yet. And that's dangerous because they can steal enough games to win a series. And Denver, just because if they're healthy, they they can do something. Joke is just too good, unfortunately. And with the pieces they have around him now, like, you know, like Bruce Brown and KCP, like those are underrated guys who are veterans who bring something to the table and they won't be scared of the big moment. And then Jamal Murray is back. So um, I think Nick Wright is wrong. Um, I don't think most of the teams, especially like a New Orleans, will want to see us in a seven game series in the playoffs. But, um, you know, we, we, we will have a fight on our hands to get out of the West. I think you, the way you phrased that nails it perfectly. You know, can Denver beat us? Sure. You know, does Memphis have a chance against us? Absolutely. But the idea of saying that four teams concretely absolutely will beat us in the playoffs when they are healthy is ridiculous. It's hubris. He's just trying to get clicks. And it's not just me who thinks that. Uh, We got a quote from Dwayne Casey, if we get Maxine back, where he, you know, that's the coach from last night. They just beat us, who says very specifically that when this team is healthy, they're as good as anybody and they'll be in the money. And I think there's another thing that Nick Wright isn't really taking into account, and it's recent. You know, sure, do the Warriors play terrible to begin the year? Yeah, numbers are numbers. Are they playing better as of right now? Absolutely. Numbers are numbers. And I think more than that, it misunderstands how the Warriors use the regular season. And I'm going to give you a shitty analogy, a shitty example. I've seen Dave Chappelle, who I love, twice live. Saw him once in San Francisco, and then months later, I saw him in New York at Rockefeller Center. And when we saw him at the Laugh Factory here in San Francisco, he was all over the board, dude. It's like a five-hour appearance. He seemed drunk. There wasn't like a theme. There was occasional funny moments, but I don't know. It, it, was, it wasn't a remarkable show. Then months later, we went to Rockefeller Center. And it's the same material, but it was tight as shit, MT. Instead of, you know, three hours, it was 45 minutes. Only the best jokes got there. And you slowly realize that. All those other spots that Dave was performing, all he was doing was figuring out his best stuff to to put forward when he got into Rockefeller. The Warriors treat the regular season like Dave Chappelle treated the Laugh Factory. You know, that they are confident they're going to make the playoffs. And they use all the rest of this stuff to test out lineups, to get experience, to figure out who everybody is. What Nick Wright isn't paying attention to is even during this practice sets, The Warriors are making the very obvious objective improvements. And if that just continues at this pace, do I believe that they can beat all the teams that he threw out there? Absolutely. Are they the juggernaut who they thought they were before? No. You know, there's, there's some holes in the team. But I think it's preposterous to think that, of course, they're going to lose to those top four. Which brings it to you, Maxine. What do you think, man? Do you, uh, do you agree with your doppelganger? No, I can't. I can't tell you how how frustrating it is to continue to find out that this here here. Okay, here's the deal. I feel like at this point, dudes on on TV, and we're in sort of a different space. But like Nick Wright, come on the show, man. Let's have like a face off. Uh, oh God, again, uh, unintentional. But let's have a face off. Now it's intentional. Let's do this. Like um, <laughs> because no, there's there's just there's absolutely no way that you can watch the Warriors 
and and continue to think that this is a team that's going to be in the in the in the middle of the standings overall, right? So no, it's it's very frustrating. And also, I came back in right as you were saying about Dave Chappelle. Uh, I just found out he's going to be in Australia, so um, maybe I'll go see him to see if his material is tightened up, and then uh, try to ask him some questions about the Warriors afterwards. Hey, have you been recognized in Australia? And any like Huddle fans come up and said, "Hey, Nick Wright." Any Huddle fans? Oh my gosh, no. They would. They all know <laughs> that I'm still possible. not Nick Wright. Absolutely right. I purposely crossed over. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager, only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Joining us after far too long in the huddle, the Golden State beat right San Francisco Chronicle, a man who attends every single Warriors practice, press conference, shoot around the game, and a guy whose Kelly Olenek predictions were so fucking accurate and frustrating, it made me feel like he may be a soothsaying witch, Mr. CJ Holmes. What's going on, CJ? Hey, look, I'm just a humble Canadian. That's it. (laughs) That's it. (laughs) I'm good, man. Good to see y'all. MT, what's good, man? He wasn't on last time. Yeah, good to see you. Good to see you. Sorry, I'm late. Work called. No, you're you're, duty called. You I'm here good. now. You guys have my undivided attention, at least until you are, you know, edits start. <laughs> we'll take it. We'll take it. And uh, you are here right at the uh, the perfect time. And before I go to my next golden question here, let me tell an old story that's still on point because MG hasn't heard it yet. So the last team, or last time, Maxime and I spent some time with CJ. We went out and grabbed drinks over at the Athletic Club, actually. And we watched that Utah loss. You'll remember that's the one where Jordan Poole fumbled it away with no time left. And so it became famous. They were up four with 13 seconds left. And what has not gone public is we're sitting there. We're watching it. I thought the fucking game is over. We're just celebrating, getting to know CJ, having a couple of drinks. And CJ looks up, sees that the Warriors are up four, and remarks that Kelly Olenek specifically still may have an impact on this game. And they may still lose it. The Warriors might. And I'm like laughing off, dude. I'm not sure why he's needling us or what he's going to do. But we all know how the fucking game ended. Kelly Olenek steals the ball from Jordan Poole with basically no time left. And the Warriors lose by one. So he will forever be Mr. Kelly Olenek to me. I, I almost expected him to have like a Kelly Olenek mask on as he joined our show today. I'm a prophet. What can I say? <laughs> what we've been... Uh, Talking about, man, um, the question we got right before you joined us was a quote from Nick Wright where he broke down that he didn't think the Warriors would be any higher than fifth at the end of the playoffs because they've been so terrible at home and so shitty on the road. And we kind of chased down why he was wrong. But I've also been saving this question for someone smarter than me. And you, you know, you fit that perfectly. 
Why do you think what's up with the Warriors home record versus the road record? Where's that disparity coming from, in your opinion? Why are we A plus at home and, you know, not so A plus when uh, we leave Oak or San Francisco? It really is a maddening disparity. I think I think all Warriors fans know that or anyone that's watched the team, because if you just look at the numbers, even Steve Kerr said it, the, the difference in their numbers, especially defensively, they're so dramatic, you know, so dramatically worse, you know, on the road versus at home. I think there's a couple of things to play into this. The first thing, something I've been talking about on the radio a little bit lately is I just don't think the, war, the Warriors are so unserious with this regular season. I honestly just don't think they're taking all that seriously from a standpoint uh, from this team's here to win championships, right? This team is here to stay healthy, get to the postseason, win another championship. They've, they're at the point, you know, they're not, they're not like Phoenix. They're not like Memphis. The regular season isn't as important to them as it is to other teams. Right. And because of that, I think there is a little bit of, a lack of urgency in certain and in a lot of cases this season, right? And when you have that lack of urgency and you take that lack of urgency on the road, other teams can sense that. They can smell that. And they've taken they're taking advantage this season because these teams are they're at their house, right? In front of their fans, you know, playing with their energy and their confidence, right? And you gotta be able to match that every night in the league when you go on the road. Um, to these other cities, right? And the Warriors haven't been able to meet that intensity, at least not on a consistent basis, obviously, which has led to a lot of road losses. Look at the games they lost early, that first uh, that first road trip they went on this season. Yep. Charlotte, um, Orlando, uh, who else? You know, struggling Miami Heat team. team. We're talking about teams that aren't going to be, you know, in the postseason picture. You know, for the most part, right? But the Warriors are giving these teams confidence when they're away from Chase Center, right? Because they're not coming out punching, right? They're kind of showing up expecting to win. And for whatever reason, in years past, that's worked, right? They've been able to just show up and win everywhere just because they're the Warriors, right? But as Steve Kerr said, they've been kicking the league's ass for a very long time. And these coaches, these players, they remember that. Right. And, you know, something I heard on NBA, NBA radio yesterday. Let's be real. The Warriors haven't given the league too much to fear this season. Right. And these teams on the road, they smell it. And to me, it's as simple as that. Right. It's it's these teams, these road when the Warriors go away from Chase Center, they are vulnerable. And these teams can smell it. They can sense it. And they're taking advantage of it. Um because as we see at home, we see what they're capable of doing. Yeah. And for whatever reason, they're not doing that on the road. So I think it comes down to a sense of want to and a complete lack of urgency. Like they're kind of operating as this team, like, yeah, we can flip a switch anytime we want. Well, when's that going to come, right? Maybe it comes when Steph and Andrew are back in the lineup healthy. Maybe it comes in February. Maybe it comes in March. But at some point, they're going to have to kick it in the gear and play with that the same urgency on the road. They play with the Chase Center. They don't do that, then they might be in a little bit of trouble. Because as Draymond Green said on his the latest episode of his podcast, first podcast since October 21st, the Warriors were 500 on the road right now. And keep in mind, there's not a lot of teams in the NBA who have a winning record 
on the road this season. So at least the Warriors aren't alone yeah. in that regard, even though, you know, their road record's a lot worse than a lot of other teams, right? But the Warriors were just 500 on the road. That's probably good enough to have them in first place in the Western Conference right now. Right There's now. any question about that. Uh, Marcus, what's your read on this, man? We, I haven't had a chance to, to ask you that question. What's the disparity from? Is, is CJ's response yours as well? I think, yeah. I mean, I, I think it's have the laissez-faire attitude that CJ taps into. Um, you know, you look at the the three-point disparity that's been talked about, like opponents shoot 41% um, of threes in their gym, and when they come to chase, they're shooting 29%. That's, you know, that's a big difference that taps into it. Um, you know, Michelle in the comments talked about Clay missing every other game too or not playing back-to-backs. He doesn't play back-to-backs at home, but I think – you know, there's a bigger difference when you're um, not having a back-to-back clay on the road versus home. I think you can feed off the energy and make up a little bit of the difference there. So I think it's a combination of factors, but it's uh, it's just this team is learning how to play together and learning how to win together. We lost some of that chemistry and camaraderie when we, you know, didn't bring back Damian Lee and uh Bielitsa and GP2 and you know even though those and Otto Porter even though those guys weren't longtime Warriors fans they're vets and they understood how to play on the road and how how to you know get a, a crucial stop here and there so um I, you know I think it'll even out I think the law of averages will will put us back in the middle but um you know they say playoff series don't start until the the one team wins a road game. So if that's true and that holds, then, um, you know, we need to, we need to get it together. I mean, there's their ability to win on the road is going to be determinative of a lot of things in the playoffs. Yeah. Dude, if you, if you can't win out there, then you are completely fucked. I agree with both of your guys takes and I'll add a third one. Really. It's a cherry on top of what you were just saying. MT. They're relying on younger players now in a way they never have during the dynastic run. And it's one thing to teach NBA players how to you know, fit into a system and how to succeed. It's an entirely another thing, how to fit into a system, how to succeed on the road. And so while Kaminga is, is getting up to speed and while they're figuring what they can get from Wiseman, it makes sense to me why they wouldn't be able to contribute in the same way when they're in unfriendly confines. You know, hopefully that'll turn itself around, but we'll see. CJ, one of the things I wanted to do with you is an off-the-court report, and I was going to focus on something specific, Matt. So that Atlanta game was bananas. Cost me years of my life. It was like a fucking emotional roller coaster. I had no idea how to feel from one second to the next. So after that game, what was the feel around the team? You know, was it exhaustion? Was it elation? I mean, what? How did that look? Bro, relax. It was a meaningless regular season game in, in, <laughs> in January. You need to relax, bro. <laughs> um, I think it was a feeling of exhaustion. That's one thing uh, Kerr stressed post games. Like our guys are tired. You know, we think fatigue really, you know, played you know, into that, like, a lot in that game, especially down the stretch. Obviously, um, yeah, a bunch of guys who played forty more minutes. Um, I think it was just a feeling of exhaustion and relief. Yeah. Really, right? Um, this homestand means a lot for this team right now. You know, you know, Kerr has downplayed it at certain times, but let's be real. Like for a team like the Warriors, you know, twenty and nineteen right now, you know, lower in the Western Conference standings, every win counts, right? 
And right now, right? So I said it was meaningless, but was it really, right? Yes. Was it not really? Um, and this is a team that knew that they got to take care of business at home um, during the stretch. And to, you know, lose a game like that, a game you led by 17 points, a one-point trail by 19 seconds in the first half or up by as many as like 21 or 22, that's not a kind of game you could afford to let slip away. And the Warriors have let far too many of those games slip away this season. Um, so, one, they're rel- relieved because despite blowing a fantastic lead, you know, Clay Thompson and Kevon Looney were they able to bail them out. Clay with 54, Kevon with the game-winning tip. And just exhausted because, you know, they're already shorthanded. You got six guys on the injury report and you, you got your stars out there playing 40 plus minutes. Um, that's going to wear on you. And I think that might have impacted them a little bit um, yesterday, their game yesterday. Um, they got off to a slow start, especially defensively. They weren't as sharp. They looked like a team who just played an overtime thriller a couple nights prior. Right. Um, so that's really it. That's really it, man. Um Shoot, I'd be tired too if I had to play that many minutes. <laughs> and Clay, when he was interviewed afterwards, after the Atlanta game, not after the loss against Detroit last night, I think told Bob, he asked, you know, Fitzgerald asked him, How are you feeling? He said, My tank is on empty, Bob, in a way that only Clay could. And I'll tell you what, there's another comment from Clay, and it was one of the golden questions from uh, Patreon Thomas. But he pointed out, Clay said something along the lines of, I am trying to enjoy every second of this experience because next year is my last contract year with the Warriors. And it's gotten some attention because it suggests maybe he won't be here after a year. I definitely am more relaxed than I was in the beginning. I think in the beginning I was just so eager to be back to um, those big nights like tonight and proving whoever wrong that I'm still great. And uh, now I just like, I mean, it's going by so fast. We're almost at the halfway point. And after this year, there's only one year left on my deal. So it's like, I just told myself like, man, I got to enjoy every day in a Warriors uniform. Like this is such a incredible position to be in as defending champions and to see the banners we've hung and just the brand that's been built here. I mean, I just had to remind myself daily, like this is literally a dream I'm living. And what matters most is just having fun and playing hard. All the numbers, all the big nights will come as long as I do those two things. At what point did you kind of have that talk with yourself? Honestly, I had like, I had it a couple of days ago after I had it a month ago. I've, I've had a lot of self-talk like that in the last few years, but it's incredibly helpful. It kind of just puts everything in perspective. How did you interpret them? You know, you heard that. What did they mean in your mind? Well, two things. First thing is the guy is obviously thankful. Um, you know, two major injuries, 941-day hiatus from the game of basketball. You know, anytime Clay can look like his old self and play, play, had, play and have these big games, he's extremely thankful for it, as he should be, because a lot of guys wouldn't be able to come back from what he did, from what he experienced, let alone have multiple 40-point games and a 50-point game in his first full season back, right? So, one, he's thankful. Two, I'm sure there's a little bit of that contract stuff in the back of his mind. I mean, the better Jordan Poole plays, the more, you know, the narrative of, hey, JP should probably start, you know, full-time, it gets louder and louder, right? And I think Clay's done a good job of fending off 
those conversations because it seems like every time it looks like he's about to hit a wall, right? And everyone's like, oh, JP should start. Here comes Clay for a random 40-point game, right? Showing that he's still got it. But the fact, remain, the fact remains is the Warriors are in a financial crunch. Jordan Poole just opted up four more years. He's 23 years old and Clay's what, 32? You know what I'm saying? So, no, I, I mean, as much as Clay Thompson means this Warriors franchise and as much as I'm sure the Warriors franchise means the Clay Thompson, you know, assuming that he'll be here beyond next year, you know, it isn't a given. It isn't a given. So the guy is just trying to, you know, not only play his best basketball to, you know, attract contracts from maybe a potential next team, but, you know, he won four championships of this franchise. You know, he's lived most of his adult life in the Bay Area. Um this is home for him, right? So I think he's kind of just soaking it all in, you know, taking it game by game and knowing like, hey, I'm going to put my best foot forward night in and night out and whatever happens, happens. That entire interview felt super contemplative for Clay. I mean, he, he actually, if you ever get a chance to watch it, I mean, you were there, CJ, so you don't have to, but he halfway through starts making a paper airplane. I mean, literally it like goes down and is making this paper airplane as he's speaking, but it didn't feel like a early goodbye you know it didn't feel like he was acknowledging okay only have one more year it felt like someone who understood nothing's guaranteed the way that you just detailed in cj and he had to make sure that he soaked in every single second of it just in case in case not that he is leaving but in case he is leaving mc if you had to bet something significant to you right you know whatever it is mortgage payment something big you had to bet that clay is either going to sign a new contract or next year his is his last year here what's your bet he signs another contract. Um, I'm just going to will it into the universe that Steph, Clay, and Dre re- retire as as Warriors. Um, I took it the same way you did, more contemplative than something that he's resigned to the fact that he's not going to be around. Um, Steve Kerr preaches it all the time that enjoy the moment. These moments aren't given. Um, they're fleeting. And to enjoy the moment and be, be present in the now. And I think, you know, Clay did that coming off of two catastrophic injuries, missed two years, and he's finally getting back into it. And he just realized, you know, like on my contract that I signed, I have one more year left. It's not a guarantee that I'll get another contract. He hopes he will. You know, we we assume he will and the Warriors probably will, but he's not going to um, just take it for granted. So um, I, I thought the comment, you know, it did sting a little bit. You were like, whoa, 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 Clay. But I think, you know, once you step back from the motions of it a little bit, it was more just him being in the moment and being thankful that he's just still playing basketball versus him saying like, oh, I'm getting ready to go to the Lakers next season. This is a 100% true story. Before my wife and I became engaged, we were long distance. And the first big trip we took together, we went through Europe and we were in uh in Rome, the Plaza Navona. And I remember we were kind of fighting. And in my mind, I was thinking, you know what? Maybe this is going to work out. And the plan was going to be, I was going to go to Eric and tell her, here are the problems I'm having. Here's what you need to do to solve them. Otherwise, we're not going to be together. And I start, you know, talking about the problems. And she says, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not sure this is working out. And I'm like, oh, my God, what? You know, and they're like, no, I want this more than anything. Clay's comments felt like that. You know, like earlier in this season, we've talked about, well, his contract's the one that's tradable. I felt like it was up to us. Maybe he won't be back. The second he started contemplating, like, maybe he will leave. I was like, no, no, no. You need to stay forever. Like, you are part of this fucking team. So 
I hope to God he stays. Here's our next question. And CJ, I'm going to direct it immediately to you. Quote, I love Jordan Poole and I think his future is bright, but my head will explode if he fumbles one more late game scenario. Are you worried about his closing ability? What do you think, man? I mean, after watching these last two games and then, you know, thinking about what happened up in Utah, I mean, yeah, you got to be a little bit worried, right? Um, you know, Jordan's issue is that she just does too much sometimes, you know, maybe maybe one too many behind the backs or, you know, one too many like tween, tween in and outs. And, and the thing is, like, those flashy moves, those explosive finishes, you know, the, the, the fearless long-range shooting, that's what makes JP who he is. So to tell him to dial it back, you know, the Warriors need him to play the way he's playing. However, I don't know if you guys got a chance to read my piece um, recently. Like, he has a turnover problem. He leads the league in turnovers. Since Stephen Curry went out, no player in the league has had more turnovers than Jordan Poole, right? And the thing is, if, if, if Jordan Poole isn't playing the way he's playing, I mean, he's averaging almost 30 since Steph went out. But if he's not, if he's not playing the way he's playing, the Warriors aren't winning five of, five of six to start this homestand. They're just That's not. Um, I don't know. It's like, cause it's not as simple as saying it's just something he needs to, to clean up. Right. Um, you know, the hope is that with more experience to learn how to take better care of the basketballs, a lot of young guards in this league do. And the thing is like a lot of these turnovers haven't necessarily cost the Warriors a game. Like, even though he turned it over late yesterday, I mean, Clay still hits the three, yeah. one second, second left bails him out. And there's been That's a lot cool. of that. Yeah, in recent weeks, but you know, eventually these turnovers, eventually, um, you know, throwing away the clutch, eventually it's going to catch up to him. If he wants to reach his potential in a Warriors uniform, it's something that he has to tighten up. You know, a lot of people want to say, oh, like, you know, now all of his turnovers are hurting the team. Turnovers are still turnovers. Turnovers are still empty possessions. Empty possessions mean your team is not scoring and the other team has an opportunity to do so, right? So eventually it's all gonna it's all gonna catch up to him. It hasn't yet, but this is something that he needs to address now before it becomes a bigger problem. Hell so is there urgency? Of course there is, CJ. You can't be falling down with the game on the line for no goddamn reason or get stripped by Kelly Olinick, you know, when you're in Utah and in a winnable game. So does that need to be fixed? Yes, as quickly as humanly possible. Do I believe that Jordan Poole is capable of fixing it? Yeah, with the same kind of fervor I just said that other uh, response. You know, and Kerr and Clay and a bunch of other people have kind of said the same thing, that they need him playing this way, that this is kind of part of the show, and that he is getting the experience of what it feels like to be Steph Curry, that you know you are guarded by the other team's best defender, that the pressure is on you, and that it takes a little while to feel that and then still be able to succeed. So am I worried, you know, in two years, do I think that Jordan Poole will still have difficulty closing games? No, I don't. And I think all of this is going to lead to who he's going to become. But am I worried about it right now? Fuck yes, I am. And we desperately need him. So hopefully this problem kind of wraps itself up in the very near future, man. It, well, what's your sense of the team's worry level? I mean, you, you've been to all these, you know, every practice, practice, shoot around a game. You you spend more time with this team than anyone else I know. Do you think they're concerned with pool? If they are, they're not saying it. Um, 
you know, I think Kerr, when Kerr's asked about, he's kind of just said, you know, this is all part of being a young player. You know, he'll get better in time. That's kind of that's kind of Kerr's consistent message. You know, I asked Draymond about in the locker room the other night. Um, you know, he's on the he, he, he he's on the side of you know, yeah, he's turning over a lot, but the ball's in his hands a lot. If you look at the the highest turnover guys in the league, the top ten, they're all stars. Maybe except for Kevin Porter Jr. They're all stars, you know, Giannis, Kawhi Leonard, you know, they all have higher turnover averages than Poole, right? So a lot of that has to do with the ball being in his hands. Yep. Um, and, you know, just yesterday, Clay Thompson said, hey, we're going to continue to trust Jordan with the ball in his hands because he's the engine that makes makes us go. But I'll go back to this point, you know, turnover. You know, when I was in college, we ran for turnovers, right? When I was in high school, we ran for turnovers. Now, I don't know if Steve Kerr's putting guys on the line at practice. I don't know if Jordan Poole's just running, you know, gassers, you know, back and forth in, Ch- in Chase Center every morning um, for his turnovers. But at the end of the day, turnovers are a cardinal sin in any sport, right? And you can't just say, oh, they're okay because they're not leading to a lot of points for the other team. Eventually, they will. Eventually, they will. And if you look at Jordan's like recent games, six turnovers, six turnovers, five turnovers, five turnovers. That's it, it's it's kind of ridiculous, man. It's kind of ridiculous. He has to be better, you know. And, and you know, and, and if I'm him, I look at this as a small critique and what is otherwise a tremendous body of work, you know, since Stephen Curry has went out. Yep. Again, if Jordan's not playing like this, they're not winning. They're they're zero and ten since Steph went out. If Jordan's right. not playing like this, period. Especially not having Andrew. But the turnovers, man, you got to relax on the turnovers. Because I'll tell you something, there's some other top guards in this league. I just thought Kyrie Irving, for example, he's not in the top 10. And he's scoring at this probably around the same rate Jordan is. So it is clearly doable, right? It's doable. Jordan just has to maybe slow down a bit. I don't want him to slow down too much because that – that breakneck speed he plays at is what makes him who he is. But he needs to slow down in terms of, you know, reading defenses. Um, and he's getting better at it, right? He's getting better at recognizing mismatches, taking advantage. He's starting to see the game and things are slowing down for him. He just keeps slowing down a little further. And as Kerr said, that's something that should come with more experience. Glass half empty. If there's something worse than falling down with the ball in your hands at the end of a game, I'm not sure what it is, you know, and my head, much like the person who wrote us this question, felt like it was going to explode multiple times. I'll tell you what, in the Atlanta win, even just watching his hubris drove me crazy. You know, if nothing else, Clay had earned the right to take the final shot on regulation and in the first overtime and that Jordan ignored him both times drove me crazy. But glass half full. Jordan and I was, I was just looking this up on my phone. Jordan is currently 23 years old. When Steph was 23 years old, he averaged 3.8 turnovers a game. Jordan right now is averaging 3.1. Happens. You know, you, you have the ball in your hand this much. You make mistakes as a young player. I can see it. So there's, you know, if Steph did it, it's okay. <laughs> if Jordan did, but if nothing else, we got to stop when they're happening and he's got to start learning from them. You know, that that's, Hopefully we'll see the kind of growth he's shown us in other areas. And there's reasons to believe that we will. I agree. Give me uh, just using the phrase glass half full, maybe realize we didn't get your takes. So Marcus, Maxime and I went through a couple of ups and downsides of recent Warriors basketball. What do you got, man? Any, uh, any observations? 
just a little something that annoys me, right? So glass half full. I think Kevon Looney has like 50 plus rebounds in his last three games, right? Channeling some of that playoff energy he brought, right? On the glass. Glass That's- half empty. Why isn't he doing this every night? <laughs> you know? Like, like, there's a lot of nights where, you know, he doesn't necessarily hurt – he doesn't hurt the team, but he, like, he flies under the radar some nights. And then when he has nights like he's had um, against Atlanta, against Portland, what, 21 rebounds against Portland, 15 rebounds against Atlanta? It's like – it's just it's just like, dude, like, how come we're not seeing this level of, of aggression on the glass night after night, right? Because with efforts like that, Looney should be in the same conversation among some of the best rebounders in the game. Right, it's in there somewhere. I just like I just want to see it more consistent. You know, I, want I, like Looney, I want to see Looney average ten rebounds a game. You know what I'm saying? Because he, yes. he's, he's capable. It's like a flip. He's is a switch. He flips. I just want to see that switch be flipped on, like indefinitely. <laughs> uh, give me something you like. What stuck out uh, to give you, uh, you know, some things that we discussed. I love the experience everyone's getting. I love who Dante DiVincenzo has become. Um, I love, uh, I don't know, we said, you know, multiple things because we're on a five uh, or almost a six-game win streak. Anything else, any positive things sticking out to you? Love the two-way guys, man. Uh, Ty Jerome and Anthony Lamb. Um, I think they combined for like 30-plus um, in, the, in uh, Wednesday's loss. And for two guys who entered the year with no expectations, um, not expected to play much, they have gone above and beyond, I think, what's been expected of them, right? And it's gotten to the point where it's hard to imagine how the Warriors' rotation will operate without them. Like, it's gotten to that point. It's, let's be real. It's gotten to that point. Oh, yeah. What I don't like is, as two-way players, they can only have, like, what, 50 games in mm-hmm. NBA? And both of them are already about halfway there, right? And what I don't like is eventually that's going to be a problem down the stretch. Eventually, unless one or both, which is highly unlikely, get converted into full-time contracts, they're going to have to go spend some time in Santa Cruz. Yeah. And when that does happen, how will the Warriors respond? You know, obviously it's going to mean more minutes for Moses Moody to step up, right? Um, John the Kaminga is going to have to be better than what he's already been over this last couple stretch of games. Yep. Um, and so that's what I don't like. It's, it's unfortunate that because of all these injuries, in different situations, the Warriors have had to rely on two-way players because now, you know, you know their time is limited and eventually there's going to be another adjustment period as they have to go down to Santa Cruz. But I love it because, again, these are two guys who entered the year with no expectations and they are really settling in and becoming, as Clay Thompson said, bona fide NBA players. The thing I really like about Ty Jerome isn't his quiet competency. It's the fuck you in his game. There's some dog to him that I genuinely enjoy. And I, I heard somebody this. with the too small the other night. I was like, see, God. there you go. I love it. And, and, and I think he believes it. It's not like histrionics. You know, I think he's is just completely full of passion. Ty Jerome, people forget this. Ty Jerome was a first round pick. I forgot that. I had no idea. Tyler Rome was a first-round pick out of UVA. Like, put some respect on that. I'm an Auburn guy. I still don't forgive him for double dribbling uh, or, or not getting called for double dribbling. Ty, if you're listening to this, I still don't forgive you, bro. But, um, like, put some respect on his name, right? This man played for Tony Bennett for, for what, three, three, four years? One of the best coaches in all college basketball. 
You know, there's no like when you talk about like pro systems, like in college basketball, Tony Bennett's offense is at the top of the list. So if anyone can come step into the NBA and run an NBA offense, it's who's better equipped to do that. It's Ty Jerome. If the guy know. was a first round pick. I covered him when he was in Phoenix when he first got drafted. He's always had it in him. He's just, you know, he, had, he played, he got sent to OKC. He just hasn't had a fair draw, you know, per se, right? And not to mention, you know, his lack of athleticism puts him at a disadvantage on most nights. However, he makes up for that with, like you said, toughness, with IQ, with making the right play at the right time, protecting the basketball, running the offense. Forget his athleticism. Those are like three, four areas that a lot of guys struggle with today. Um, so props to Ty Jerome, and I'm happy that he's selling in and finding his role. In either Phoenix or Golden State, have you mentioned that double dribble to him? I bet you have. If I had oh, to guess. Assume, assume the second he was signed, the first day he was at the Chase Center, I said something to him. <laughs> I shaped him in the locker room and was like, hey, bro. <laughs> but I think I said the same thing to him when he was in Phoenix. I, I, I would have, too. I'd do it every time I saw him. Does he laugh? Does he like it? Because it, it does two things. It establishes he's just, like, he's just like, you know, like it is what it is. <laughs> well, and and it, 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 He's like, tell your team to get good. Like, <laughs> And it establishes a relationship. If I'm dropping that, what I'm telling him is, look, I know about your game. Also, I played. I know a little bit, you know, about the game myself. And it establishes that both ways. Um CJ, let's end with your injury knowledge, right? So the Warriors are basically missing fucking everybody, but it sounds like they might be coming back soon. So I'm going to go up in reverse order of importance. Let's start with Wiseman. Any injury updates? When are we expecting him back? Reevaluated in a week. Okay. Um, and, uh, I mean, reevaluated and he might be returning in a week, or they just they have no idea and we'll, we'll see. They have no idea and reevaluated in a week. Gotcha. That brings us to Jonathan Kaminga. When's his reevaluation date? Reevaluated in a week. Yeah, <laughs> same thing with Wiseman. They're not. They'll just let us know. They don't. They're not necessarily yep. back. In a week, right. we will have an update, and it will it'll either be a little short sentence that says they're making great progress, and we'll be reevaluated in another week, <laughs> or um, you know, they'll be you know off the injury report and back in that. Yeah, we're back tonight. Uh, how about Wiggins? We finally saw his smiling face on the bench last night. Is he close? Uh, he is supposed to be reevaluated at some point this week. So tomorrow's Friday. Um, I expect us to hear something on week an update on Wiggins earliest tomorrow. I'll take it. And then the big question, Steph, when, uh, when do you think he'll be back? Somebody's going to forget about Jermichael Green. <laughs> I know. Sorry, dude. Jermichael Green. Go ahead. I was testing you. We're going to disrespect Jermichael Green. <laughs> I mean, we don't have to underline it. I just told you I was testing you. You passed my test. When's Michael coming back? Um, he is also in the reevaluating the wheat group. Um, they did say that his uh leg infection is beginning to subside, but you know, now he has to get his win back, get back in the swing of things, and you know, take a he'll need about a week, week's worth of practice to you know get his win back and be able to play in NBA games. All right. Um, and I mean, that was the one I was most worried about, Jermichael Green. I mean, I was gonna call this the Jermichael Green. Everyone, everyone is waiting for the Jermichael Green news. Come on. Right. Man. That's the update. That's actually gonna be the title of this episode. Um, but you know, while I have you, I might as well ask, how about Staff, dude? What are you thinking? What's oh, what's that guy. On oh, that guy. Okay. <laughs> uh well, Steph uh is still on track to be reevaluated on Saturday. Um, Joe Lakeup and Steve Kerr both confirmed that the plan is to have him ready to go. Uh, when the Warriors start their next road trip in San Antonio. Oh, let's go. Did you, I mean, I imagine you're at the game, so you didn't get a chance to listen to it, but Steph was behind the broadcaster's mic for the third quarter yesterday. Uh, and 
I mean, this is true for any place he's on a basketball court, so I'm not surprised by it. But he was so fucking good, CJ. He was calm. He didn't rush. His analysis was on the money. He was funny when he needed to be. He was serious when he didn't. You know, he even interacted with Bob's bullshit. I, um, I, I, this isn't you know breaking news. I'm a huge fan of Curry, but it turns out he's just as good on the sideline as he is on the floor. Now we want him back on the floor immediately, but I don't know. I, I hadn't had a chance to say that, so uh, I wanted to throw it out. Have you heard any of it? Did, did you get a chance to listen? Or I imagine live. I, I can go back and listen to the broadcast later now. Are you saying Stephen Curry, future TNT uh, sideline reporter Stephen Curry? So I think that because of who he is just as a player, if he wanted to do TNT, they'd give it to him in a heartbeat, right? Just because, you know, the fuck, he's, he's Steph Curry. Can you imagine but, Steph and Draymond, like, both at the, on the TNT? No, no. And, that's, <laughs> and that's a perfect example because if, he, if his name wasn't Stephen Curry, right, take away his celebrity, and all he was was the skill set that we saw behind the mic yesterday, I still think – he would have a future on TNT. If he was Ty Jerome, but was capable of giving that analysis, and I, you know, despite Ty Jerome's double dribble, I still have a lot of respect for him. I he would have a future in broadcasting. So props mm-hmm. to Steph. CJ, missed ya. Appreciate you joining us today. I know for a fact people need far more homes in their life. Where do they go? Instagram and Twitter at CJ Holmes22. Retweets, not likes. Ah, I uh, I can promise you at least people never years. listen. People never listen. <laughs> I do. <laughs> You're talking to the one guy who fucking listens. They don't, listens don't, want, they don't want to see me win, bro. They don't want to see me win. That's all. <laughs> Cool. I want to see you win. <laughs> Follow us on social media at Warriors Huddle on Twitter if you want to see a bunch of retweeted CJ uh, CJ takes. And with that in mind, go Warriors. Hopefully, see you real soon. Good, good. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.